the guys from Ping, they've kind of shown me how much the equipment matters. I just love that I can hit any shot I kind of want. We're going to be able to tell some fun stories about what goes on here to help golfers play better golf. Welcome back to the Ping Proving Grounds podcast here at the PGA Show. I know this is coming out a little bit later than the show, but if you listen and you're hearing the acoustics, that's what it is. And Marty Jertson, I've been waiting for this one for a long time. We got a legend with us today. Yeah, this is fun. One of my favorite people in the golf world, the short game master who's touched and helped so many golfers. Stan Nutley with us here today. Stan, I want to start with the first question. How many putters do you have in the gold putter vault? I have four. I'm waiting to, I'm waiting to get a wedge in there too, though. <laughs> and why should there be a wedge in there, Stan? I made two bunker shots and had six putts and nine holes. I thought I could get my wedge put in there. I don't. Do you think your record? So Stan's talking about his record, Shane, for least number of putts and nine holes on the PGA Tour. Yeah, 2002 Air Canada Championship. Stan at least six putts and nine holes. It's so unfathomable that I actually Googled to make sure that that's the right number. <laughs> six putts and nine holes. So you had two. So so walk us through that round. So the let, let, let's get to the most impressive record that I know that I have. Okay. You got to do some math here. I'm certain that I have the most shots ever hit from off the green in an under par score on nine holes. <laughs> What's that number? Well, I was good enough to have six putts in nine holes and only shot one under, so that's 29 shots from off the green. See, now if that's not spoken like a true golfer, Marty, exactly. I don't know what is. Somehow finding exactly. a negative in yeah. something positive, but uh, yeah, we appreciate you taking a little it, bit of time it, with us. It's a good for the rest of the story comment. That's exactly right. Uh, Stan, when you were playing, I've always wondered this about coaching. You're playing and you're obviously playing and having some success. When do you decide to make that switch? When do you decide, I'm not going to play anymore, I'm going to get into coaching, and how do you navigate that new endeavor in your life, obviously with so much focus being on myself and how I play? Well, there's a couple things that I could tell on that story, but my daughter Tatum's sitting over here to the side as we shoot this, and my, my wife and my two kids, one day when I got back in the car, made an announcement. They said, we don't mind you, you teaching that guy out on the putting green while we're waiting. And we don't mind if you're practicing while we're waiting, but if you're teaching him, he's got to pay you. <laughs> and that was really a moment that changed the course of my career because yeah. prior to being able to tell people they had to pay me because my wife said that, only my buddies asked for help. And when they were okay to pay me, then guys started asking for help that weren't my close friends. And that was part of the transition. Uh, but the real moment, the defining moment of my switch over was Jay Haas asked me for a putting tip. And prior to social media, the only way to become a kind of a notable coach was have a tour player say something nice. And that, that moment when he did better and said I helped him, it became apparent that I probably needed to move toward coaching versus just keep playing what what year what around year do you know when that was it was a uh, 2001 when he asked for a tip and by 2003 i was coaching a bunch of tour players i didn't really hang the clubs up until midway through 2005 yeah stan you you've touched so many golfers not only tour players and your peers that you've coached right but also a lot of uh you know your everyday golfers high handicappers males females juniors that's who i teach every day yeah so um, what are some of the 
big things in short game, you know, from a, maybe a, a principle standpoint that you like to see, say in general, or a common pattern of the high handicapper to help them improve around the greens? Well, a couple, I, I do have to say this. One of my sayings I like to throw out is best questions wins. So we think that that kind of applies to all of life. Like you're in the business of asking questions. Right. So I asked my students right off the bat, I said, if you had somebody come to you that had never played golf, how would you tell them to make a putting stroke? And all of a sudden, if I can get them to answer that question, I get in there with their mind. Mm. And I start to learn what they know and think about putting. And like one truth that people I think misinterpret is people think you should accelerate through the ball when you hit a putt and yet I see the majority of best putters have short follow throughs yeah yeah so the, I don't think they're speeding up when they hit the ball they speed up early in the downswing and impact is more of a coasting action one of the things they say sometimes is the club should go straight back and straight through well I have to explain that the tool that I use to putt with has a stick coming up out of it at 70 degree tilt. It's not really designed to travel in a straight line. Yeah, yeah. It might be a pendulum, but the pendulum's on a 70 degree tilt or somewhere near that. So that's a couple things that I look for right off the bat, that the majority of bad putters are missing the boat on those two aspects. That approach of, of asking your player a question like that, was that a, a skill you learned? Because uh, you're so good at it. You've done it with me. You've done it, I've seen you do it with a lot of, of players. Or is that something you picked up from a mentor or teacher of yours? Well, I don't know where I came up with it, but I really figured it out when I was giving a guy instruction, and I feel like I had told him the same thing for a year. Yeah. And in one moment... He turned around and said, but I'm going to whiff it. And I realized it wasn't that he was terrible or that I was telling him the wrong stuff. He truly had a belief that would not let him hear my message and try my message. Yeah. And when that happened, I realized I have to understand what my student believes sometimes to get through the door that they've put up. And they put up those doors consciously as well as subconsciously. They might not even know they believe that. Yeah. And and that's where I really got honed in on making sure I asked the right question so I can figure out what they know and believe. Yeah. It's probably that, that wall is probably bigger and stronger in the short game space, you know, chipping and putting. <laughs> I think it's true in all aspects of life. Like the businessman coaching a new employee. Yeah. 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 The kid's gone to college and learned something that's just absolutely not true, but the guy hired him didn't know that he, he wasn't going to do what he said. Yeah. Stan, when did you fall in love with the short game? What was it like for you growing up, and, and ha when did you realize you had this kind of incredible ability? Well, I have to say that my golf came out of a failure. I did not make it on to, in, into the NBA. I intended to be a professional basketball player. How was your outside range? Was it good? Well, my my ability to throw it toward the goal was high. Okay. I don't know about making it, but I was good at putting it up. You're a high-volume shooter is what yeah, you're telling me. Yeah, that's right. I like that. 
What I learned about basketball, though, is you, if you're not fast enough to guard anybody, you kind of sit next to the bent coach yes. no matter how yep. good you shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why I would say that is I was just sneaky competitive enough in basketball that I learned to shoot left-handed as a little boy so I could win all the horse games because uh, yeah. my buddy wouldn't learn to shoot a left-handed layup. And the ability to put spin on a basketball and then transition that into ping pong and then start playing golf, it didn't dawn on me I wasn't supposed to use my golf club this, as the same way I used my ping pong paddle. So I understood English on a golf ball or a basketball or a ping pong ball really early in my golf career. And I think that along with the fact that my mentor, Mr. Lanning, taught me a basically a perfect golf grip led to being very creative. So do you and feel like the short game is creative? Is that the way you kind of look at it? That's how I saw it. Okay. Because every situation truly is different in some aspect. If you thought about it, that no two lies are identical. They're close, they're similar, but they're not identical. Yeah. So you have to analyze the situation. I can actually see the trajectory, the land spot. I think I have a, a tremendous sense of the spin I put on the ball. And Mr. Lanning said to master the short game, you had to master the first bounce. So I could make the ball make do in the first bounce what I wanted it to do. Okay. And I, I always had a knack for it. But there was a back end to how I got there. What's the back end? The story about being a basketball, basketball player, player or a ping pong you, player. You, I was uh, very creative. Yeah, yeah. I played a lot of sports. I was the pitcher. I was the quarterback. I was the point guard. I think it helps to play a diverse amount of sports. It's like that book Range. Been reading that, you know, now that we have kids. And, and uh, Stan is going to be inspirational in that regard. What, Stan, let's transition a little bit. Uh, we just launched our new S159 wedges. Uh, a little bit to how you marry finding the right grind for your player with their instruction. You know, how does course conditions, turf conditions come into play, grain? You know, that's kind of a big question. But then also, how do you marry getting your player into the right grind with their instruction? Well... We're still trying to master the answer to that question. Oh, yeah, it's a never-ending question, I think. I think <laughs> my first response is, if it's an experienced player that's ever been any good, their hands are already accustomed to a certain feel of the club in the dirt. So, although I probably fit into the S grind best, yeah, I play the E grind. Yeah. Because I've hit countless shots with an old I-2 wedge. Yeah. So that's an easy one for me, and I think guys that are 50 years old and older that have played a lot of golf, they kind of have a feel and a sense, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry them towards what they probably always had. The person that's just really horrible, I'm probably going to lean a little bit toward more bounce for them. Yeah. So I'm going to lean toward the, toward the W or the H. Yeah. A little bit. I'm going to give them more more kick off the back. There's certain people that like to maybe release the club a little earlier. They're going to like the new B grind. Yeah. But 
I don't know that you can really answer that question without getting them to hit some shots. Yeah, yeah. My my issue is most people that see me that come to see me are broken. So I spend a lot of time trying to put them back together before I worry about fitting them along. Dialing them in, yeah. But yeah. the thing that amazes me is is our wedges at Ping truly manage spin better than anybody in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And for no other reason the young players that are coming to me I'm trying to have them understand that you need to be in control of your golf ball when the conditions aren't perfect. Yeah. And that's the one aspect we're going to always win. Yeah, we put a lot, we put a lot of R&D into the the friction between the golf ball and the club face. That's a mysterious thing. When you know? I when I was back at the plan and I saw the I don't know how many times you blew up the face, but what's the answer to that? Yeah, when we magnify and look at the, oh, the uh, basically, Shane, what Stan is talking about, we, we blast the face, we mill it, we blast the face. and we, when, when you say blast the face. Like, like, uh, like a media uh, that's engineered to maximize the stick between the cover of the ball and the face. Okay. And we scan it with this special scanner. And then they blew it up. And we blow it up and we 3D print it, and it looks like the, the sharper than the Himalayas. Really? That's it's what's grabbing like onto the golf ball. It's unbelievable. Right. Oh, like yeah. if you're not playing a ping wedge, you're cheating yourself out of control. Oh, yeah, super sharp. And that's what's grabbing the ball. That's what's grabbing the ball. Now, we've done some videos with Stan. He's talking about the conditions not being perfect, where he's chipping out at the proving grounds on a nice beautiful dry summer day it looks zoom, dry it looks dry we zoom the camera in and what's getting squeezed uh when when the, you're landing the club on the ground before it hits the ball yeah it's 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 amazing yeah water getting squeezed out of the ground well that's something right? you told me when we first started doing this podcast was there's in theory there isn't ideal conditions because even ideal conditions some debris or something's going to yeah. be between the face yeah. and the ball. It's one of the reasons it's so important to be playing a wedge that you can be as confident as Stan's talking about. Yeah, unless you're unless you're hitting off a tee or maybe some very nice zoysia, you know. But I've played a couple of courses. <laughs> I thought we should have played mat golf, but they don't let you do that. Exactly. Off a of mat, maybe yeah. you could get it to yeah. spin. But. Yeah. Stan, what do you think? Uh, what do you think is the role of bounce? I mean, I've heard you describe it as the skid plate, some kick off the back. What what do you how do you think about the timing of that turf interaction and I I really think about it as I go back and I talk about Gene Sarazen. Did he mean for the club to land steep or shallow relative to the front edge of the club or the trail edge of the club? And when a plane lands, I want that plane coming in kind of shallow landing on the back tires. And if it does that, it might bounce a couple times, but it stays close to the ground. Mm. And I think people misinterpret steep and shallow. Like today, it's a big buzzword. We need to be steeper. Oh, the body needs to be steep. But the club, I don't want my club coming in with the shaft so much forward that I land the lead edge very often. Because the front edge has almost no forgiveness. Yeah. But if I can get the club head, the club head releases shallower at the bottom 
I steepen impact at the bottom with my pivot, my body, my upper torso. But if I can land the trail edge and keep the lead edge up at just a little bit, one or two or three degrees, then I get a glide effect and I have a lot more room for error through impact. Yeah. yeah. I can hit perfect or I can hit a little fat and still have the ball react very similar. Yeah. And I'm looking for grace. I don't want to have to be perfect. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. Well put. Kind of the key to it. And depending on the guy's swing, like the guy that's really steep, he might need a little more of that grace closer to the lead edge. Like for me, I don't know if this is right to say, but like the W wedge doesn't fit my my land. Yeah. Because it's rounded. And I'm used to the bottom being flat and getting the kick out of the back the edge. Back. Yeah. So everybody's got a little different feel in the bottom. But I'm excited about the new S159s because we have five different options. Yeah. They can find it now. Yeah. Five and the E, so six total. Six total. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Stan, you mentioned that a lot of the people that come to you are broken when they come to you in terms of their golf game. Um, you famously worked with Charles Barkley, who I would say probably fits the mold of a broken golfer when he came to you. How was that experience, and how did that come together? Why well, I, I once have to say God is good because what's the chance of a short game coach kind of helping the worst swing in golf? <laughs> That's a great point. Right. Like, and it was funny when I ran into him at Tom Lehman's charity event in Phoenix. We had crossed paths a couple times, but I didn't really know Charles. And I said, look, I'd really like to have you hit, hit some balls I want to watch. And he's like, Man, I've worked with everybody. I'm like, I hadn't watched you. So he rambled out to Greyhawk a few days later. My son Jake and I watched him hit some balls, and I kind of already knew what I was going to tell him, but I, I, I asked him the questions about what he was thinking, how he got to where he got to. He was so confused, he didn't know. Too much too much information well, in the head he, of the golf he didn't swing? Know, he didn't know how he became broken, because okay. at one time he was pretty good. Yeah. And I think he... He didn't like getting beat, so he tried to get better, and he misinterpreted information, or he got bad information, one or the other. But honestly, I gave him one tip. It took about 40 minutes for him to spit the tip back at me, but he said, everybody knows he pulled down on the handle. And you probably know Michael Jacobs. Yep. He said something to me a couple years ago that kind of related to this. He said, golf clubs have balance points. And the physics makes the club kind of teeter-totter around the balance point. So if I influence the grip, it has an influence on the head. Well, if you think about it, Charles pulled the grip down so hard that the head kept going up on the downswing. That's why he got stuck. Interesting. So there's a point where the head needs to go down and the grip needs to go up. And I helped him feel the head go down instead of just the grip go down. And I did that by having him use his wrist to basically throw the club head backwards. Some people get worried about when I tell them to use their wrist to throw the club head backwards, but the way I get them to do that, it actually puts pressure on the shaft. It creates proper lag on the club. But it gets the club head moving away, away in the, I see in the end of the backswing, the club head's going toward the target. If you want the club head to circle, it's got to go away from the target on the downswing first. Yeah, it's counterintuitive though, right? 
So yeah. it's and going away from the down. It's going away from the target on the downswing. At the start, start of the okay. downswing, okay. Well, all of us. Yeah. Go forward with our hands too early often. Yeah. It's just human nature. Our mind's over there, yeah. but we ain't supposed to go over there first in the downswing. So he, he turned around and looked at me and he said, you want me to use my wrist to throw the club head back toward the trees? We're on the back of the range at Greyhawk. He's gotten better every day since then. One tip, I've, only, I've, only, I've, I've, I've only seen him maybe five times in five years. We do not hang out, but he does practice hard. And that was the one message he needed. And then he, he really went and dug it out of the dirt. So we go from Charles Barkley, who was a relative broken golfer. You're somebody that studied golf for a long, long time. I know you mentioned Gene Sarazen earlier. Who is on your Mount Rushmore of great short games, if you had to put together a list of those four names? Uh, I know I, I'm putting you on I, the spot here. It is, but I would think of Seve. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the prettiest short game players of late, maybe – Going back a few years would be Ricky Fowler. Okay. Uh, I think of. Let me think. Who? Jeff Ogilvie. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you talk about pitching the golf ball, the pitch he hit to win the Open was amazing. Yeah. Like I think of in terms of someone who free swings ahead and doesn't accelerate the grip very much. Yep. Corey Pavin would be amazing. Corey Pavin came for a putting lesson one time, and so I'm asking him questions. And I figure out, Corey Pavin, it doesn't matter how he grips it or how he stands, he's a, he's a full-on wrist putter. He'd added shoulders. So I don't really teach people to be all wristy, but, like, Corey Pavin just, he just tapped it. I said they should have banned his stroke. They banned anchoring. <laughs> he anchors the top of the grip at the top of his hand. He doesn't have to put it on his belly. He just uses his wrist, and it's beautiful. Stan, it's been awesome having you as an engineering research brand ambassador. Uh, t tell the listeners a little bit about, about your role, some of the fun things we've worked on in terms of Research. I mean, one of, the, one of the things for me has been that you've come in and you ask us such good questions. Shane, we've talked about this. They we usually have, don't like my questions. Well, no, I, I know. Maybe not anyway. on the front end. The, the, the best questions are the ones where you, 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 you guys stump us, right? I mean, we're frustrated, but then we're like, yes, God, that's a great question. <laughs> but, but the truth is all of us that teach golf, we're looking for the right answer. Yeah, yeah. And a guy like me who was really a player, I feel like... I use my intuition about what I thought happened and what I thought I was doing for a long time. I would say my gift as a golf coach really is my eye sees the sequence of the movement. That's a gift. But I've tried to learn the engineering and the whys. Yeah. So because of your team, you guys are always measuring. Like one of my favorite questions I asked was, if I swung the driver club at 100 miles an hour at impact, how fast is the top of the grip going? Because I see my student, the sequence of his swing, the top of the grip's going so fast, there's no way he can get the club head to speed up past the grip handle fast. Now the long drive guys are studying deceleration. Yeah, 
Yeah. If you can't yeah. put the brakes on something above the club head, you can't get the club head to go fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we know, the, know. The, the hand speed maxes out about when the arms parallel to the ground. Yeah, the it starts slowing then down. Start slowing the average down. person doesn't know that. No. Yeah. That's and everybody one. that sucks at chipping is not slowing the grip down soon enough. Mm. The grip's going fast. You know, I, I like to ask questions about path and face. Like, you guys put me on a really fast camera. I wanted to know yeah. which direction was the club going and which direction was my face pointed on a low shot. And I believe what the data said was my face was nine degrees close to my path. So that's nine degrees aloft I took off of the club before I leaned the shaft forward. To square it, right? And that's what allows me to be still shallow at the bottom and hit a low chip and run. I don't have to have the shaft 20 degrees forward to make it come out low and run. Yeah. But I didn't know. I just I knew I did it, but I didn't really know the math. You you knew you could do it. You're not exactly sure why it was happening. Yeah. That way. yeah. I was, I was going to ask you, because we talked a little bit about the average player, people come in that are broken, and I know it's player-to-player -player circumstantial, but you know we talk about the chipper a lot on this podcast because it's been such a great addition to the golf bag for so many players. What's a mistake players do even before they make a move on a chip shot or a pitch shot around the green? Maybe the club they pull out or the decisions they're making in terms of the shot they're attempting to pull off that might not be the right shot. Well, the... The first thing is, it really helps to be able to make solid contact. So that's really what I try to teach. Now, you can can you teach solid contact? Is that sure. something you can teach? That's a skill. Okay. Golf. Never forget, golf is a skill sport. Yeah. People way overemphasize the mental aspects of it. Bernard took a lot of grief recently because he said golf wasn't that mental. His point was. You will never beat him if you're just because you're mentally stronger than him. Right. I could not agree more with that, Stan. Now, it doesn't yeah. mean it's not a mental contest if you have all the skills, but you can't beat the guy with the skill exactly. with your mind. <laughs> doesn't matter how strong your mind is. No. There, there's some, been some brilliant people in the world that are terrible golfers. Terrible. Yes. Now, back to the question. <laughs> the next piece of it, besides hitting it solid, is you need to assess the situation. So, part of the situation is your skill set. So, the, the person that doesn't have the skill set to pitch it with a lob wedge like I do, but they can take the chipper and pitch it and run it most of the way, they're going to shoot lower with the chipper. I still want to teach them the skill to pitch it. Yeah. But just because you give them the chipper doesn't mean they have that skill either. Because... I would give them the better technique to chip with the chipper by swinging the head of it versus pulling the grip. Half the people can't use the chipper if they got one if they're making the grip in go faster than the club head in an impact. I love people say I decelerate on it. The only way to decelerate the head is to over-accelerate the grip at impact. The club so head a, doesn't decelerate by term. itself. Yeah. Golfers say that wrong is what you're saying? Well, I'm not sure that clubhead isn't decelerating, but it's not decelerating for the reason they think it is. Interesting. It's a, it's a different reason. Is that a similarity, Stan, in your, t in your coaching in, in pitching and also putting? 
Where, yes. where do those two differentiate a little bit in terms of maybe how it's, you it's, teach it? It's or less just, than you think. Okay. In yeah. my world. Yeah. And I realize there's lots of ways to accomplish a good putt or a good chip. Yes. People yeah. putt good differently. Yep. But I like to say, if I was just looking at how to make it look most mathematically correct, I want to swing the club on plane. If you swing on a 70-degree plane or a little steeper, the bottom is going to arc. I want the face to go square to the arc. And I want things to move in the right sequence. Sequence means from the bottom up, things move less. If you truly swung a pendulum, I love to ask this question. What is the rate of acceleration at the bottom of a pendulum? Don't mess this up. Zero. What would you say? Well, I mean, I I would just follow what Marty said. Most most people would say maximum. (laughs) Marty, what have you been to engineering school or what? Zero acceleration. So, but but see, my student heard accelerate through the ball. Yeah. Yes. And then the next question I ask him is, so let's let's say this putt needed four miles an hour clubhead speed. If you really needed to hit the ball at four miles an hour, would you rather be coasting or changing from one to six at the moment of impact? Yeah, with no margin of error. (laughs) So what happens is I think the person that comes up short and says I decelerated, they just hit the ball about an eighth of an inch too soon, and they were only going two instead of four. Yeah. Because the same stroke, if you hit the ball an eighth of an inch too late, goes way by because you're running six. Yeah. Now now your ball position has to be perfect. But the great putters (laughs) – you know, the Faxons, the, the Ben Crenshaws, they speed up early and they coast, so their touch at impact is incredible. And when you're coasting, it's funny, when I'm giving clinics and getting people to do this, they all say, it feels so solid. Well, it's easier to hit it solid if you're not surging. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And this is a question I gave you guys one time. I said... Does the ball leave the face faster if it's coasting or speeding up? Mm. You guys didn't want to answer that question. (laughs) But when I can get them to say the answer, it actually leaves the face quicker on a coast than it does on a surge because a surge, you're sticking the ball in the face. Interesting. It might be a little bit, but a little bit matters. Yeah, no, a little bit matters in golf, Sam. No doubt about it. All right, so uh, as we're wrapping up, one thing I've taken from this interview is we're going to have to get one of your wedges in the vault. That's number one. Yeah. And B is I don't feel – I've been leaning for that for a while, so well, we t- good we luck. Talk, we talked to some people. Marty knows some people at Ping, I've heard. Uh, and the second is I feel like I don't know as much about the short game as maybe I thought I did uh, to start. Uh, Me neither. Well, it, but, I mean, you, you seem like you still love it. I mean, you still love teaching. Yesterday I saw you do 200-plus lessons. I, I went to two clinics already this morning. I learned stuff from David Orr about putting just a while yeah, ago. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're you still never, a sponge. You can you never, still wanna, you can you never still quit learn. learning. You can never quit learning. That's what's so great about golf. Stan, I know recently you've come out and, and you've been vocal about you know battling Parkinson's. How has that been? When did you find out? And what have you been doing as of late to you know try to hold it back as long as possible? Well, it wasn't something I talked about in the moment, but in early 2019, I was diagnosed with non-Hopkins lymphoma. After going through four rounds of a big chemo, one, I'm happy to say I sit here today cancer-free. Yeah, beautiful. But the, the neurologist said the trauma from the chemo 
kicked in Parkinson's earlier than it might have. It might have surfaced later in life, but it kind of kicked it in. And so it's just now to the point where I take meds that manage the shake, but as we sat here and did this interview and my left hand's shaking, sometimes I, I feel a little conscious about it. I'm not worried about it, but I don't mind people realizing why I shake now because it is a public thing and I'm in the public eye. It doesn't really hurt my day-to-day life. I still made four birdies on Friday. There we go. The cool thing is it only shakes when I'm still. It doesn't shake when I'm swinging or hitting a putt. So so golf is good. It's not hurting golf. Still can pitch it like you used to. Well, no, I can't do that. But it's it's not terrible. Stan, we were chipping at the proving grounds. I never told you this. You helped me. You gave me a few tips. I was super steep. You helped me get a little shallower, changed my body movements. I played that weekend. It was cold in Phoenix, and I missed six greens. I got every ball up and down. It was just so, perfect so, contact. So, so that reminds me Posting of... Posting it in there. I learned two things the first day I sat with a sports psychologist. He was the track coach in Missouri, my friend Rick McGuire. He said there's two, there's one main difference between winning and losing. Scheduling. Scheduling. <laughs> and he said there's one way to be a great track coach. Coach fast kids. I was coaching a fast kid when yeah, I gave you, you had a tip. A, you, had a, you had the quickest he guy was in the room. A, he was already the quickest guy in the room. That he, was easy. He might have got five out of six up and down if he hadn't had the, com- exactly. the information for you the next day. But, hey, oh, six out of six changes I the game. I hit him good that day. I still, like, tell, I still like hearing the stories. It felt good. Yeah. Well, Stan, we appreciate the time. Always uh, interesting to hear you kind of talk about short game and dive it into it. And, obviously, from great player to great coach, one of the great that's ever done it. So, thanks for taking the time with us. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. That's Stan Ellie. Thank you. This is thanks, the Team Proving Grounds awesome. Podcast.